Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Hello, Story Shapers. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast and mine, Story Shaped, the podcast where we take a stroll through the stories that have shaped our lives in the company of some fabulous guests. This week's fabulous guest is none other than the brilliant Jenny McLachlan, author of fun YA books, heart-pounding and hilarious middle grade adventure stories and giggle gross and great books for younger readers. These books include the brilliant Land of Roar series, illustrated by Ben Mantle, and the epic Dead Good Detective series, illustrated by Chloe Dominique. The amazingly titled Flirty Dancing, Jenny's debut, written for teens, and the absolutely riotous Stink, illustrated by Jenny herself, about the worst fairy imaginable, which is written for seven plus year old readers, but had me in absolute stitches. Jenny has that remarkable ability to write books which are full of heart and conflict, yet also full of life and laughter. She creates characters that stick in the mind, and she paints incredible word pictures of wondrous lands you can only get to by crawling through the fold-up camp bed in Grandad's attic and ghostly pirates trapped in a graveyard of dragons and mermaids and scarecrow baddies and fairies who snack on woodlice. Her output is as varied as it is brilliant, and I know I'm a massive fan of her books. It's a true pleasure to welcome her here today to Story Shaped, and I can't wait to find out more about the stories that have inspired, comforted, challenged and shaped her into the writer, artist and person she is today. So welcome to Story Shaped, Jenny. Welcome. Hello. Wow, I enjoyed that. I might, <laughs> that I was good, wasn't it? Start this podcast quite a few times. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. Do you know, you made me think, because the last 11 years that I've been writing have gone by in a blur of stories, I suppose. And it was quite nice to hear what I've done. Thank you. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. You have an amazing yeah. output. Yeah, I mean, I, I can only dream of having such a varied output uh, for all the different age groups. You're, you're an inspiration. They're, one of, they're among my favourites. Uh, I really, really love them. Especially love the, the Land of Roar books really just uh, are, are, are up there with my, my, my top reads of all time. And I read Stink recently and Stink is hilarious. Uh, absolutely fantastic. And my little girl saw it and said, yeah, I'm, grab- I'm grabbing that. She loved the cover and everything about it. And I said to her, the lady who wrote this book drew the pictures too. Isn't that clever? And she said, wow, I want to do that. So you're inspiring people up and down. Well, up and down I, the I wanted nations. to do that when I was, how old is she? She's seven. Well, it's probably about the age when I was, when I, the idea. So I was always, I wasn't very good at school writing. I found writing, I was a very slow writer and I found spelling and punctuation very difficult. And I love reading. And then, um, so I never thought I'd become a writer, although I had a secret desire to but um I'm my teacher asked us to make picture books for younger children and I had the happiest week of my life at school I don't think I think even possibly some other things were suspended so we could do it so I might even not done maths so it would have been extra good but as I was drawing these pictures and writing the words I thought I would love to do this for a job and then straight away I thought you're not going to Jenny you're not good enough so 46 so I, I illustrated stink a year ago so definitely I used to grin when I was drawing the pictures 
because I write in the morning, draw in the afternoon, I'll be like this. <laughs> I was enjoying it so much. <laughs> so yeah, very tell her to stick with that. That you know, she should do it. Brilliant thing Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've already had several. Uh, that was self-published uh, masterpieces in her house you know she she's already yeah. on the on the track um but it's just i personally i find stick to be such an inspirational book not only because it's really really hilariously funny um but also i love i love writing for that age group and it's also a dream of mine to to illustrate um like i never as you say i never studied art other than in school i never, I never did it in, in third level or anything like that and i never felt as though i had enough of a talent to do it and then i see people who are just I mean the work you did in this book is amazing and I just think Jenny didn't start her career as an illustrator either and yet here she is doing an amazing job we need um, to you know, so. about this don't we yeah because <laughs> I this is a, an ambition of mine as well I I really I'm like this plans that I have in my head is like okay when my child goes to school maybe I'll go back to art college but maybe I don't need to go to art college well I had exactly because I had you know shall I do English shall I do art university me, uh, me well. too and yeah too. yeah <laughs> and I, I can remember I didn't actually say no to the art foundation course and they rang me up the day I was supposed to start I hadn't said no to them and because university started about a month later that's how I made the decision I just thought <laughs> ah, no, wait in a month but um I it was for years and you know the, the thing about art and drawing is you need time don't you that's, mm, that's true you get mm. at something. they spend hours doing it so am I allowed to leave the secret that changed it all for me because please I, I know this probably isn't the time or the place but it is stories isn't it yeah so the, um, it's a drawing on an ipad it was just oh. meant that I could um, and I only got an ipad because my daughter wanted a pen and wanted to do it so badly I I thought there was no way so I do obviously draw all the time in sketchbooks but I've just not don't have enough time to you know do practice as I as I want to I still want mm. to come back to that but on an iPad I use something called Procreate and you know if you're drawing the eyes the eyes are the wrong size you can redo the eyes you don't have to look oh. at the whole face so much quicker you can get Beth good enough to yeah or hopefully good enough to and it's very kind of you to say that I mean I was very in very nervous it's, about my pictures and things. No, it's they're brilliant. They really do, and they add so much to the book. They're they're really fantastic. But I've seen I've seen I've seen kind of videos on social media of people using, you know, that as you say, the, the procreate tools on the iPad, yeah. and it's just like it just seems like something. Oh my god, it's so complicated. I couldn't possibly do that. But maybe maybe it's something I might look into. We need to meet up in the future. I will show you. Yeah, let's have <laughs> yeah, a drawing class from Jenny. Meet up with our iPads, or our, well, am I allowed to mention that iPad or our, any device? Uh, yeah, really I don't know. I, I, sued by Apple. I, I signed up for this, like, I won't name it, but a subscription service that like sends you every like few months, it sends you like a box full of art materials. Oh, nice. Like, so, like a watercolor box or a gouache box. So, I have them. Like, when, when they're all fair. I want to know who that, that and company never, is. <laughs> like, I need it's the time thing. It's like I have, I can't bring myself to, to carve out the time to open those boxes and use those materials because I think it's fear it's like I'm not going to be good enough how, how do you yeah. how do you put the first <laughs> exactly lying down and not be and it's the same with writing but yeah. I would say about having children and I can remember I actually finished writing my first book when I was nine months pregnant due day these are how long ago it was I posted it to three people and thought oh this is gonna be great I'm gonna have a baby and a book published in the same year so I didn't. <laughs> I, I, got, I, I didn't hear back from two people. I got a rejection from one, um, and then I put it away. So ashamed I even had the thought, the audacity to think I could write a book. 
and I had my children, two children, and uh, the, but the, the story that I'd written was still in my head. And then um, I can remember suddenly one day take, putting one child in the pushchair, one on the buggy board, the flipping buggy board, I don't know how they flip backwards all the time, <laughs> going down to the library and getting out as, as many, because when children have their library cards, don't they, you can get lo- loads of books out. I know, and you don't have any fine. No fines. So I got every teenage sort of book aimed at a similar audience that I thought mine was that I could so I had about four you know two children under the age of five and 40 teenage books <laughs> and I took them home <laughs> I basically tried to work out why they were better than mine I suppose I, I suddenly got really fired up but I don't think I could have written it wasn't good enough to publish before and I don't think I could have made it good enough to publish unless without that the experiences that I've had in between not suggesting you need to have children to write books but that in those in between years when I was doing something else they changed me and I went back to that story so although I think I can remember that frustration of you know what I was doing was wiping oh the creases on wiping there's so much wiping involved in children wiping yeah Yeah. Um, they're so full of crevices yeah yeah. Yeah. so but I don't think it was time it, it helped creatively I do think it helped yeah, I got my first book deal when I was pregnant with my first with my, with my first and only uh, child. So yeah, I did have a baby and not a book, but a book deal in the same year. Yeah, and I yeah, got my I, agent I remember, just yeah, before I was born. Try, yeah, trying to trying to get everything done and trying to, you know, and trying to edit the first book while she was, I think she was about six months or, you know, very small. And just, oh my God, I don't know. I look back and I don't know how I did it really, to be honest. So I think we're all heroes. Anyone who has a career and kids, amazing. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, and definitely, I think you're right to say that the experiences you have in life, whether they're having a family or whatever they might be, they all they all help you to become the author that you're going to become. Like, I mean, everything feeds into the things you create, you know, particularly, of course, I hope, as we say on the podcast here, the stories that you <laughs> that you sort of absorb as you go along the way. Um, but the first question that we normally ask uh, the guests we have on the podcast uh, is, are you story shaped? Um, so Jenny McLaughlin, are you story shaped? How would you um, I, I, I was story shaped. I don't know if I would. I think I would say I was story shaped rather than book shaped thinking mm. about it because I can some of my earliest mem- memories are connected to books and stories um, and actually being shut out from books and stories because I had an older brother who was three years older than me and a mum and dad who both loved all loved books and reading and I can remember um, really vividly first of all you know how you wake up really early when you're little you know it's crack of yes. door thing mm-hmm. waking up pacing around an empty house and then going getting into bed with my mum and dad and them really irritatingly not waking up and lying there and I used to look at the pair they had these really ugly curtains which I could make there were patterns and I could make pattern tell and I'd make up stories about the blobs in the curtain and then they would wake up and start to read I I just couldn't I can just remember sitting in between them as they held these books and I would just look, I've got, I, can't, I might not be able to remember names, but my memory from my childhood is crystal clear. And I'd look from book to book and just see these squiggly black lines. And I'd think, this is so boring. Are you both, what is wrong with you both? <laughs> you want to, the day has begun and you're choosing to lie in bed and look at something that hasn't even got pictures in it. It was incomprehensible to me. So that was probably when I was about three or four. And um, when we went on holiday, they always used to take a stack of books to read and a big part of going on holiday was them reading books so I do remember I had a choice at to I had to join them there was no <laughs> choice in the matter I, and it was a combination of not wanting to be bored but also 
wanting to know what these they would talk about them as well you know this these things that they were so into I've really gone back haven't I and then my dad told great stories as well in the car on car journeys because I was born in Germany actually and he was a teacher there and so over the although I came back when I was a baby but we had lots of holidays back to Germany and it's a long car journey and um my dad would fill them with stories to tell us about Cuthbert the camel and a rude fairy <laughs> as it happens I've only really realized that I possibly have ripped off my dad um, <laughs> when I was writing an, um, an interview somebody somebody gave me I suddenly thought oh my goodness stinks like my dad's fairy but I don't think he'd mind so my dad told me um these wonderful my brother and then my sister which is one of these amazing stories that did involve going always going to a fantasy world they had a very sort of set structure there was an underground train there was always lemonade fountains um there was a cat called Tigger so those that was a really big part of my childhood and then reading picture books um and there were books all over the place my mum and dad were both teachers so had, you know very into um my mum was an infant school teacher so I they were also let us read a, a and let us do pretty much whatever we wanted, um, which was as long as we stayed out of their hair. And so reading was great. I, I never had a sense that I couldn't, there was a certain, I should be reading certain books or not reading other books. I loved picture books when I was, when I, even when I was quite old. And one of the happiest afternoons of my life was when my mum went to the East Sussex County Council, sort of the book exchange, the library service. So she had a topic box from school. I don't know what it was on, volcanoes, something like that. And she went to swap the topic box over. And my mum is, still is in her 70s, a, a very busy person with lots of projects on the go. So she probably had a lot of jobs to do. And she took me with her. And it was a library with no one in it except the librarian. So it was oh, a whole wow. library with no one else in it. I was also, you know, I love being on my own, still do. Um, and... She, she asked the librarian, because I straight away went and sat and started reading the picture books. I was probably about 10, I'm not sure. But I, I read the picture books and she asked the librarian if I could stay with her while she went off and did the jobs. And the librarian was lovely, she said yes. And she made me a cup of tea. So it was really sophisticated Aww. for my first <laughs> cup of tea. And gave me a whole packet of biscuits, chocolate digestive biscuits. And I just sat for a few hours reading any book I wanted. And I, I tell you was something else I loved. Um, the... Um, non-fiction books so you know my first trip to the dentist or getting a rabbit um, <laughs> I absolutely loved real life real families that reality in the books why do you think you loved that I'm I don't know I'm, I'm the same so even now um I remember reading Heart of, Heart of Darkness at university and having to sort of prop my eyes open on Matt actually <laughs> because, because there was no family in it I, yeah. I love families and I and I just didn't I and that's what draws my interest into stories and now I think in books whether whatever the genre I'm, I'm fascinated by friendships and families I'm not sure I have to I just come from a big family in itself I realize I've strayed from the books though that shape no 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 you hit on something really important when you said story shapes oh my goodness Topsy and Tim Topsy and Tim yeah the, the original Topsy and Tim books um with those I don't know them didn't they make a they made a CBeebies yeah TV show but it's a, it's it's a kind of a modern a modern version I've, yeah. I've seen the modern version of it so, um yeah 
So basically, Topsy and Tim and their mum and dad and later their adopted sister Tansy um, are in, in the story. And, and they're very, very simple stories. Um, so they'll be about, but very, but, but quite funny as well. Um, so I mean, there's one in particular, they, that's uh, so what I really love, it's about some pigeons on a, they find a man who's got carrier pigeons on a train and then he releases the carrier pigeons. That's essentially the story. But there are these little, little lines that I love in them. So when they're waiting for the train to come in, Topsy and Tim are standing on the station and they see the train, their train appears and Topsy says, I can see the train. And then Tim says, I can see the train. I saw the train first. <laughs> and I think it's, it's something like, it wasn't true, but he did say it the loudest. <laughs> Thumbs up. <laughs> um, or when they really want to go on a picnic and their mum doesn't want to, or maybe they want to go to the paddling pool, I can't remember, so they sit on their mum's feet. <laughs> until in the end mum decided to take them on a picnic they're very good but I love those and I've got I've sort of collected them since then and my daughters love them just as much they've actually redone really them with new illustrations now and I've got some quite rare ones like Tops and Tim in Amsterdam oh wow <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and for example Tops and Tim in Belgium that's another of my favorites and um my one of my daughter when she was when she just learned to write she was about three and she decided to write, um, no, she couldn't have been three because her, sister, her sister had been born. So maybe she was just a tiny, oh no, probably three actually. She wrote Flora and Nell in enormous writing across the front of all my tops in Timber. <laughs> <laughs> first page, just so everyone knew they belonged to them. Even tops in Tim in Amsterdam that's worth 70 pounds. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Lies are 70 pounds. Um, I'm never selling them. I'm good. Yeah, them. no. But no, I, I just sorry, Susan. Do you think it's something about the? Because I'm just, I'm just thinking of like, like picture books that were really important to me when I was young, were the Shirley Hughes books about Alfie. Oh, helpers. Did you read Helpers? Helpers, no, helpers, no. Oh, that that was. Oh, I mean, I actually had this down as my favorite ones, and that was the one where she had the the, the grown up boy babysitter looks Ooh. after today. Is this this? But yeah, I loved Alfie. And Dogger and you know, Dogger, Dogger breaks my heart <laughs> still. Oh my god, I can't I can't really cope with Dogger. You know, if you want to know what inspired Arthur and Rose's relationship, look at this, the brother and sister and that that sort of um essentially you know that sort of the that way your brother and sister, your older brother or sister will essentially ignore you, but you know that you're their first and most important person. You know, they yeah. might, you know, at school, they might, their eyes will drift over you. This might've just been my experience at secondary school. My brother, he was much cooler than me. But when push came to shove, I was his sister and, you know, he would always look after me. But I think definitely, so Helpers was brilliant. So this um, long haired, flared wearing, band wear, t-shirt wearing teenager, he looks about 17. He um, looks after three children for the whole day. And it's, it's what they do for the whole day. So he's tries to sort things out. So he tries to get them to sort out their toy cupboard. And I can remember every, I mean, I, I got it again. I got it, I bought it again. He feeds chocolate pudding to the toddler. And there's this scene where they give the baby, they become all independent, the younger children, the older children, they give their little sister a bath. And this scene it sort of it makes me sort of feel deeply nervous, but I love it as well. There's these children hauling this gigantic toddler and dumping her in a great big pot bath <laughs> and pulling her out again and putting her in her 90s so that when the mum and dad come back, I think it's just the mum comes back, 
Laurel damp in her nighty this top oh I absolutely love those books and that one especially you've got to look at it okay I'm gonna buy I'm going I'm going after this podcast going yeah to buy and they, there's this amazing scene in it when the top when they because she does some brilliant huge sort of scenes so one of them was of the playground that's good but also all the babies <clears throat> are taken he decides to take them out to get some sweets at one point which is great I love food and books and he parks the baby outside the sweet shop with all the other babies in their prams and push chairs. There's a row of push chairs and prams, <laughs> which is what people used to do in the yeah, old days. Of the times. I yeah. know like my mum did that with my brother when she just had him, her first baby. And then because she wasn't used to having a baby, she just went home. She forgot she'd left him outside <laughs> the shop and went home. She went, oh, the baby. So and then the babies have a conversation with each other and they it's all like uh, 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 and they're all just talking their baby but they know what they're talking about coming out of speech bubbles this book's amazing you're in for a treat oh amazing but amazing. she's like they're so perfectly observed and they're they're yeah. like she I think what I loved about them was that the stories were about like in the grand scale of things small happenings like mm. you know Alfie slams the door and he's inside <clears throat> and everyone yeah, else is outside yeah. or he's put his shoes on the wrong feet but there was something so comforting and reassuring about like a story an illustrated story representing something that might happen to you as well I think as well she perfectly understood what matters to children exactly yeah and being on your own inside a house is really scary mm. with all the outside, but also the sense of pride he has yeah. when he unlocks the door and um, in Helpers, there's a scene where the, the teenage babysitter decides to clear out this old toy cupboard. And she might be called Jenny. Maybe this is why I relate to it so much. She, oh, she has a really cool blouse. Oh, she's got this lovely blouse. I'm always trying to replicate this look that this little girl has. And she, he chucks out a load of stuff into the bin, broken toys and things. And you can see this little girl, Shing, really unhappy about this. And then she goes and collects up all the things that he thought were just old broken toys, which really mattered to her, sort of a doll without hair. And yeah. she puts them all back on her shelf because um, he didn't really understand the significance they had. So she did, she did have a, she was, had, she was able to step into the shoes of very young children, wasn't she? And understand mm -hmm. what mattered to them. Well, that's what makes the book special, isn't it? When a, an author really understands what's important to a kid and, and what's what's going to go to the heart of the child reader. That's amazing. Oh, I love those. They sound brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever read the book I, yeah. Moving Molly? Shirley Hughes' book Moving Molly. Because in that book, she's like they're moving house and she rips a piece of wallpaper and writes her name on it and then kind of sticks the wallpaper back with spit. And when we, we moved house, that. I was like, I'm going to do this. And I did that. And I was so like, <laughs> I was so proud of myself that I had, and I felt like I was in a story as well because I'd seen this in, in a book and then, and it, yeah, and it gave me some kind of like, I'd left a mark in the house that we were leaving. And I was just yeah. like, Mark. I can't believe this one I've not read. Oh, Moving Molly, get us. Yeah. Um, I also loved... So there were some books that I really loved that I didn't quite understand. They were a bit too old. So I was reading young books too young for me, supposedly. I just think there's no such thing as there. I was reading books way too old for me. So my nan was an avid reader of big, fat... Um, I don't, how can I describe them? <laughs> so uh, 
you know, it was Jackie Collins, you know, that okay. with so great big novels. And so, you know, I would read all of those. Sometimes because if I was really if I was into a really good one, I can remember reading Ginny Cooper. And um I was probably about twelve or something, and it was Riders, and it was so good. <laughs> I faked, I think I faked an asthma attack to get off school so I could finish reading it. And um, I'm, hope, maybe, I'm hoping I was a bit older. Maybe I was 14. Yeah, still some 14, definitely older, definitely older. But yeah, I can remember, and she was, my nan was lived opposite and she was great. And she used to go when she went down to the, uh, the news agents to buy her copy of The Mirror and I'm afraid a pack of cigarettes, but she did stop smoking after that. She'd also get me... Um, a mini milk is it mini milk what the what the Cadbury the, the white chocolate what are they, they call oh milky, milky bars milky bars milky no. bar get me a milky bar yeah Jenny Cooper and a milky bar <laughs> I mean what more do you, you need had, I mean you had the ideal childhood I'm I'm jealous <laughs> here I love how lots of your <laughs> memories are connected with food as well food, you've got the library well, yeah. and the packet. biscuits yes, chocolate biscuits yeah. and Jenny <laughs> Cooper and a milky bar <laughs> it's fair to say I had uh, why and why I was asked to wide range of books because at the same time my dad was a languages teacher and he and he was a massive Dickens fan and so because of him you know he I, I, if my mum listens to this I better say and my mum but some you know the classics were all in there and I can you know remember reading and the, the only the, the book when people say what's your favorite book I always feel like I have to say this because it's the only book that made me not fall asleep for the entire night so when I was about 17, I started to read Jane Eyre and I was so gripped by it that I stayed up all night to read it. And then the next morning I had to go into sixth form college again. I think I probably felt quite pleased with myself as well. I read Jane Eyre all night. Um, so I had this strange mix of Ginny Cooper, Austin, Brontes, Dickens, Shirley Hughes, <laughs> all, everything you need. Yeah, I think that's an excellent <laughs> story. <main> food groups. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was only the only only two books that were banned, um, which of course I read more than any others. So my mum put them on the top shelf outside the toilet. I can remember, and one was a book that my brother got called Infamous Murderers, and the other <laughs> one was Stephen. No, I think it was Carrie. So it was a book about it was a book about somebody with split personalities. I can't remember exactly, but that I think it's it has something. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was Stephen King or, right. or I'm not sure if I've been true life, but she said um, there were scenes in it that the people mean to children, so she didn't, she wouldn't let me read those, and I'm afraid I did. Find the bookshelf. But <laughs> those are the best ones. I'm okay. I'm okay as well. <laughs> if you're ever worried about what you're going to read, just remember what I was reading. Yeah, I mean, we've talked on the podcast the previous episode about the books. We some somebody was talking about a book they found in in the eighties, like a book of um, what was it like mysterious things that couldn't be mysterious mysteries of the unexplained type books. And I I I know we had one at home too, and there was an image of it, an image of a woman who had been a victim of uh, well, apparently you know of of um, self combustion or, or spontaneous human combustion, and all those that was her foot. That. I mean, every everything, everybody in, and the fireplace. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And her little, yes, her little slipper is still on her foot. Like I think everybody who from that from that era remembers that image and re remembers that book. And I mean, it didn't do anybody any major harm. I hope no, we're, we're all fine. We're all, we're all fairly balanced. Children are curious. Thank goodness we didn't have the internet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think there were any other the big hitters. Comics. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we always had a comic. So I had my brother had Beano, and then I got Beano. 
I can remember he used to have to help me. Um, this is when I lived in my house in Malvern, so I would have been under four. And one of the things you had to do was find, no, was it Pippin in Playland? Pippin in Playland, I think this was. And you had to oh. find Baby Moonbeam in one of the pictures. And Baby Moonbeam was just this tiny bean. And I just, I would lie in bed. I couldn't find this moonbeam. And it would just, <laughs> in, in the end, I had to get my big brother to help, help me find it. I remember finding this comic years later and opening it. Baby Moonbeam is just literally sitting on a table. <laughs> never seen any more obvious than where Baby Moonbeam. <laughs> I, I, so we love, and I had Twinkle. I really oh, like Twinkle. Oh, yeah, I got Twinkle, Twinkle every Christmas, a Twinkle annual, and it was the my favourite thing. What was the, it's Elfie, the elf. Oh, Elfie yeah. is a little. So I got, I won a doll. My first published work was a poem I got published in Twinkle. Really? Oh, oh my God, the height of fame. That is so cool. And everywhere that Alfie goes, uh, uh, goes, I can almost remember it, but my dad half wrote it for me. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't get the rhymes to work. So I always felt I got this great big sort of quite cheap but massive doll appeared. And I always felt that I didn't deserve it because my dad had helped me with the rhymes. And my mum and dad framed it and put it in the toilet. My poem put out Twinkle. Probably had quite That's an impact nice. that, didn't it? Yeah. And then once my dad, my, my dad, one of his sick formers would babysit for us. And um, I loved these big girls, you know, these 17 or 18 year old girls from the 80s. You know, they were so glamorous and nice and cool. And um, I'm still, in, I still know some of them now, but one, um, Nicola, I think it was Nicola, I'm pretty sure it was Nicola, brought round, came to babysit and they brought a pile I'm I'm indicating my hands a space of about a meter, <laughs> a meter-high pile of um, annuals. So Ginty, Bunty, mm-hmm. uh, what else was there? There were loads, weren't there? All these different Mandy, girls' names. There, yeah. Mandy. Yeah. And I mean, I already had quite a lot of Bunty annuals anyway. And so me and my brother were just we couldn't believe it. This stack of annuals. So we just spent that evening just gorging on stories of girls doing jolly brave things and um <laughs> and then the next morning I came down to the living room and they were still there and I can remember mum and dad telling me that they'd said we could keep them and my mind was blown by their generosity giving us this stack of annuals I've still got them and my daughters love them just as much you know they're not at all confused by it. they're really the text dense these annuals though when I look at them now you know they're they're really they were they were full of words full of writing full of stories but the the dramas in those I can remember one which really there were always ones about mistaken identity like I remember one girl was kidnapped and taken to ice skate in a castle um because there was another ice skater who um she was like a sort of an ace ice skater but there was something wrong with her ankle possibly so they needed a <laughs> they needed someone to step in for the difficult moments so she's been kept in this castle and forced to ice skate um and all, and all, all these dramas oh I loved those those annuals and I read them again and again and again <sighs> my nana's house was full of those annuals like from my my mum and her sister in the 70s and then my mum's youngest sister is only she's only like 12 years older than us so she had all like the annuals from the 80s so going to my nana's yeah. house you just go up to the bedrooms and 
read all of those annuals from the 70s and 80s it was like some really dodgy uh beauty advice really dodgy beauty advice and remember there was some <laughs> the ones that felt, felt really sophisticated to me were the ones that had like instead of drawings they had photos stories wow this has grown up that was like our equivalent of youtube that's so true yeah i suppose it was i believe what's happened how things have transformed that was that was as good as it got i could it was always things like um wash your face with vinegar (laughs) (laughs) dab lemon juice on your spots or whatever yeah Yeah. Um, and you recycle a pair of socks into some scrunchies. Um, <laughs> I can remember I used to, when I was a teenager, I, um, whilst everyone else was subscribing to teenage magazines, and my mum and dad, because they always kept up this, we would always have one subscription. And I used to subscribe to Bella, which was, does Bella exist still? So that's, yeah. a, you know, that was, that was some, so we said it sounds housewife's magazine doesn't sound like a politically correct term but it was a it wasn't the target audience wasn't 13 year old girls for Bella was it so I was um but I absolutely loved the true life stories and that all the dramas I did like it and again the fashion advice oh I was hopeless honestly I was a hopeless teenager <laughs> I didn't have a clue Actually, I've tried to, I um, I remember entering, I must have got uh, Just 17. I remember I was very nervous about Just 17 because a girl called Charlotte in my class told me that it was illegal to own it if you weren't 17. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember getting it and entering one of their searches for model competitions. Could you Uh be the next model? I feel like I want to get a photograph to show you what I looked like when I was 13 to, to let you know how off the mark I was in entering this competition (laughs) but I think I wrote it in such a quirky way I thought that I thought that that might swing it for me you know the lack of height the braces (laughs) glasses spots everything else I don't know why asthma would have anything to do with me being modeled but you know it wasn't going to (laughs) happen more fools them more for them yeah. exactly they should have given you a job writing for the magazine yeah they should have yeah. yeah thank you thank you <laughs> i wouldn't have been a model <laughs> probably right so it sounds like you were you were really well set up to to have a career as a as a creative person i mean between you know stories i mean look at thinking back to the stories that you said your, your dad was telling you when you were small um he sounds like an, a very imaginative person as well it must it must be in in the family <laughs> to have a to have a big imagination yeah, I know. I'm, oh, and my my mom is like a ten year old trapped in a seventy six year old's body, and has always been like that. I she love must that. have been the most fun head teacher ever. She was, you know, she would let us if we if I. She's one of those people, and I try to make myself like that, but I'm so far from it; it's untrue. So, if I said to her, "Can I turn the entire top landing into a den?" She'd just go, "Yeah, I'll help you." <laughs> Whereas I would go, "No." <laughs> it's so much work for me so she was she used to take my brother and me on something called magical mystery tours if it was raining and you know there was nothing to do in the 80s on a Sunday was there I mean nothing was no, literally nothing on, no TV on unless you're going to watch you know Antiques Roadshow and so if it was raining she'd put us in the car and do something which we'd call we had two types of magical mystery tour we should blindfold us and put us in the car 
and then drive around Eastbourne and then she'd stop somewhere and she'd say, she'd do things like go round a roundabout six times, discombobulate us. And then she'd say, where am I? And we'd have to guess, we'd go, we're in the town centre or, and then say, take off your, take off your blind belt. So we'd take them off. And it was always, we're always going to be deeply surprised by where we were. So she was encouraged to just be more and more outrageous. So we'd be up on the cliffs and we were thought we should be, we'd be at the top of a multi-story car park. We'd, and then once she said, where are we? And we took up, we guessed, and then we took off our mask and she'd driven along the prom. So you're not allowed to drive along the prom. She'd driven onto the prom and all the way along it. And I remember speaking, mom, girl. So my mum was a lot of fun. She was a head teacher. I repeat, she was a head teacher. She's amazing. She sounds amazing. On plays, on plays and yeah. And just left us to it, really. That was that was the other thing is that, you know, I, I didn't really do any clubs except brownies. I did some clubs, but essentially she left us to it and we had a great time. Great imaginative. My mind, my imagination was able to flourish. And when did you when did you start writing? I think that um, <clears throat> so writing's really tiring, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard. That's the thing about writing. So I think I probably had a few little attempts where I thought I'd like to write a book, and then sit down and think, oh, this is hard. So I, it, the, I when I actually began, I was um, I just met my husband but we were going out with each other and we booked a trip to Barcelona and we booked it late on Friday night and we kept it might have been that we were slightly under the influence of alcohol because the next morning we woke up what we'd planned as a mini break was 10 days in Barcelona we, we kept thinking oh look if we come back the next day it's a bit cheap if we come back the next day it's a bit cheaper and so we went to Barcelona and we did all the sites and we had a great time. After about three or four days, we'd done everything. So then we bought, this is such a, two English teachers on holiday together. How do you have fun? We bought <laughs> notebooks for each other. And he was quite keen on writing, but I've put him off since then. And we, we kept going, we went to cafes, we sat in parks and we wrote mini sagas. So a hundred words, stories a hundred words long. And we'd, we'd give each other things we had to include, like a certain strange word that had to be included in the mini saga and uh maybe a title and then we'd sit and write them half an hour and then we'd read them to each other and I can remember that that's definitely when I thought I'm going to do this because I made I think I made him laugh about something I did and, and that was when I got that and because it, it, it was manageable it was 100 words long and I just got a big buzz from that making him laugh and that's when it began and I spent quite a long time trying to write a very serious literary novel set in between the first and second world war inspired by J.M. Barry. And um, I always just sounded like, don't laugh. I always just sounded like I was trying to write a very serious little novel set between, you know, and it was just sound, oh, and it was always rubbish, no matter how hard I tried, how, you know, how, what I did, it always sounded like someone trying to write a book. But then I had this idea for my first team book and it was, it sort of, it didn't land in my head when I was, I can remember I was driving past the youth hostel in Eastbourne and it suddenly landed in my head. So I was incredibly shy when I was a teenager and um, self-conscious and awkward, despite trying to become a model, a top model. And I, um, when as an adult, I learned to dance. So my husband and I used to go and have jive lessons and I absolutely loved them. And it gives you a lot of, dancing's an amazing thing. It gives you a lot of confidence. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny, sorry, uplifting, if <laughs> someone who is incredibly shy and awkward 
had to do, do a do a couples dance, a con, sort of couples contact dance in front of millions of people. Essentially, that was what the idea for flirty dancing came to my head. I wanted to give my teenage self the joyous self-confident boost of learning to dance so I took all the bad bits and all the good bits all the bad bits of being a teenager and all the good bits of being an adult and I sort of put them into that book it's amazing and I love the title you know I love, I love titles that are kind of you know a pun or, or kind of have a reference to, to something that maybe an adult who's buying the book possibly for their teenager or for their child might go oh look I, I, I recognize that reference you know and pick it up so I, I, I admired that oh, title it, yeah that's shady though because be couldn't flirt to save her life the main character you know if, <laughs> if flirting doesn't but it's accidental <laughs> well the best kind of flirting is accidental i think i can't do it on purpose yeah. either so i totally i totally relate to that <laughs> but um but yeah as i as i haven't actually read it. your your ya books are ones i haven't i haven't um, managed to read yet but I, I would love to get to them uh but it was was that part of a series the first dancing was that the beginning of a, of a series in your so, yeah, I wrote, there were four books about this group of girls who'd been best friends at nursery school. So, you know, when you're about five and you have a group of, you have friends, you think you could be friends forever. And they had a gang yeah. called the Ladybirds. And and then they grew up and became four very different people. So the book is about the four, each one is narrated, each of my first four books, by a different one of the girls, which was really, really loved doing that because they obviously get to pop into each other's books. And yeah. it was one of the girls is has been the bully for the first, the difficult friend all the way through it. So writing, I wrote her story last of all. So that was probably the one, it was the hardest, but also I absolutely loved that. Uh, sorry. Um, I love the starstruck. <laughs> it's starstruck. Forgot the name of my own book. I have written quite a lot now though. So <laughs> That's fine. You've written so many. <laughs> um, and I, I really love that book. I can admit that. Yes, of course you can. So you didn't. Not like, so you didn't. Hang on, it's not called <laughs> Starstruck. It was Dancing, Sunkissed, Love Bomb. Yes, it was. Star I've got one called Stargazing for Beginners. I'm getting mixed up between my stars. Starstruck. Yeah. So you didn't, like, because, so you didn't, obviously, you didn't always, or because you were trying to write that, like, adult literary novel. Yeah. before you started writing for teens and for for kids but when you started writing for for teens did it feel like oh okay this is this is what I'm almost supposed to be writing or it this is more comfortable instant, instant. instant I found my voice yeah I absolutely I could you know I I it was and actually I've had a similar experience with jobs so that I was um I trained to be originally I was training to be a primary school teacher and I wasn't loving it because I couldn't really use humour in the with behaviour and things in the infant classroom. You can't, you have to be much, very clear, very, and my teaching style was more like my books, I suppose, um, chaotic, but um, that's not true. I was a very organised teacher, but I like to use humour and you can't do that with very young children. <clears throat> so I dropped out of primary training and then I thought, oh, I can't do secondary because I had hated secondary school. The first three years of secondary school, I really didn't like them at all. Deep, I found deeply uncomfortable and scary. So I thought there was no way I'd want to be a secondary school teacher. I thought I'd be a sixth form teacher, but you have to train at secondary level, really. I mean, there were a couple of courses. And so I um, I thought, right, I'm going to have to suck it up and be a big girl for a year and learn, just teach in secondary school for one year. How hard can it be to get my PGCE? And I knew I had to get some experience in a secondary classroom. So my friend's mum invited me into uh, her school for the day and 
she knew I lo I loved the poetry about the First World War from the First World War and that era. I did an MA focusing on that, and so I went into her classroom. You couldn't do this today. Maybe you could. She, she was quite a rebel. She was brilliant, Sarah. Her name, and she. I went. She took me into her Year Eleven classroom. Year Eleven. Can you imagine anything more scary? And she said, "This is Jenny, and she knows." absolutely everything there is to know about the first world war so i'm going to go make myself a cup of coffee while she tells you all about it oh my god oh my god she gave me a pen and she walked out of the room what a faith i mean and i did i did stand then i told that she'd obviously chose a really lovely class who she knew would sit there and and i drew maps maps of the trenches and i i i mean i and i loved it i absolutely loved it and i felt totally at home and they were lovely and funny and I realised a lot had changed since I was that teenager when I was at school. And I felt absolutely at home in a secondary school. And I still mm -hmm. do. I really love schools, really. But I, I do love secondary schools. And then um, that's how I ended up. And I think that was connected to me writing for teenagers. I also really loved, as a teacher, um, Angus Thongs and Full Frontal oh, Snogging. Yeah. <laughs> Great and, book. Uh, the Louise Renison's books. And I also really loved Jacqueline Wilson's books. Mm. I loved uh compulsive page turning storytelling that you you just believe every word that's written that she's written you know I, I instantly when I read one Jacqueline Wilson's books I, I believe she's writing and I love the humor in Louise Renison's books and I wanted with my teen books I tried to include real life stories which were um with, which had a really exciting um, fireworks you know they, you know I always felt children were sometimes a bit short-changed with plots because adults could have these really thrilling plots but children's st stories were sometimes a little tame you know the, the big moment at the end and I wanted to have a really flamboyant endings but with the realism Jackie Wilson and the humour of Louise Renison sounds a bit arrogant doesn't it so no. <laughs> that's what I wanted that's what I set out to do and what they are obviously like a swan gliding across the water with the legs moving really fast. You know that metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> Words are power. So they make something which is difficult look easy. You know, I know that they both. Now I know because I set out to do that, thinking, oh, it can't be too hard. Um, it was much harder than I thought it was going to be, but also I loved it. So. But you had the foundation it, of Shirley Hughes, all those annuals yeah. like Jackie and and Judy Cooper. Andy, Jilly Cooper. Yeah. With that foundation and then yeah. Jacqueline Wilson and Louise Renison. Let's not forget like... the Brontes. And the Brontes, of course. Of, of course, course, of course, of course. Uh, the upper the upper brow as well. But I mean, you can get a better compost really for yeah. a YA author than that. You know, it's exactly what you need. Um, I did try to squeeze. There is, um, I'm not sure if you'd ever be able to tell. So there's um, a, a Wuthering Heights creep is, is quite in um truly wildly deeply which is my last team book i wrote wuthering heights is sort of woven into the background and romeo and juliet is in starstruck and stealth teaching <laughs> stealth teaching yeah. <laughs> i love that um what's what's shaping you right now what books are books have you loved recently you know i have come to the conclusion in recent months that not enough is shaping me right now because i'm working too hard mm. I don't know if that's true of everybody um I need to um what I tend to do because I need something to help me so at the end of the day you know 
worky, worky, worky all day, cooking, cleaning, <laughs> children. Um, I then probably stopped to watch 45 minutes of some excellent television. I mean, I mean those that are stories, days, we? Those are stories um, too, yeah. <laughs> succession, I, I adore Succession. I have it's not gotten just, into that. I love it every minute. I, again, that's the thing I watch like this. Have you not watched it? No, I tried the first I episode. I don't have the channel. <laughs> Oh, I know. Goodness. I know. Everyone is. Everyone is telling me that I need to watch it. And I watched the first and episode it. and then I just stopped. Okay, so I, it, for me, that's because it, it's all about families. Yeah. I love it. Oh yeah, um, yeah, of course. Humor is incredible, um, and I so I, you know, the, and Game of Thrones. Obviously, mm -hmm. I do love dragon, <laughs> and yeah, you know, the TV is probably what inspires me more I would say at the moment than books which is really sad because I just don't have at the moment and real life and then I and I fall into bed and I want to read something that's going to be deeply escapist so I'll read crime <laughs> but I I have in the holidays that's when I try and you know and that that and so I have I do want to start doing the things actually Joseph Queller wrote a really great article recently in the Guardian I think about why have we why do we stop doing the things we love as children mm. I think it's so it's Lego and drawing and all those things that I used to love model making so I've I've, I've I'm going to try and start doing if I can the things I love doing which is things like gardening cooking reading that I've stopped recently in my just desperate scrabble to get meet deadlines so no it is definitely I've had a lot I knew I was gonna have a, a hard two years because I've got stink and dead good detectives come you know out at the same time and the pictures take a long time to draw but I didn't really understand how long it was going to take so it's most weekends most evenings you know it takes a lot of time but I'm going to try and reclaim that Circe, my Madeline Miller. That was a I book loved that. I read. Yeah. Absolutely loved. That really inspired me. And Pat Barker's um, books about Trojan War. Oh yeah, I haven't read those yet. I love Pat Barker. Is it Silence of the Silence of the Girls? Silence of the, the Girls. Girl. That's one. Yeah, Silence of the Girl. And, uh, I'm so I really those are and when I read um, that and Circe, I. I felt uplifted again. And it is interesting how when you, um, sometimes when you're feeling like your, your creative um, energy is running low, that almost you, you don't realize that what you need to get it back up again is somebody else's brilliant creativity. And yeah, reading is work too. It really is. Yeah, it fills yeah. the well and it helps you to create. It really does. And do you, do you find reading books that are different to the type of books you're trying to write is helpful when you're when you're creating something yourself or do you tend to like do you tend to avoid other children's books when you're writing one of your own I don't I don't actually read any children's books unless I've been sent a book to read um for you know review purposes so I don't actually is that awful to admit it That's I feel fine. I feel like I can because um Louise Renison said the same thing so I'm a grown-up. I read grown-ups books. I don't actually read children's books because I've got so few minutes in the day to read so that when those moments, it is literally 10 or 20 minutes of pure pleasure. And I'm and I, and it is not just sometimes I that's not entirely true. I really um love Philip Reeves' 
trilogy, mm. Utterly yeah. Dark. They're really good. Yeah. And really enjoyed enjoyed those. I mean, obviously, with, I read to my children, and still, even though she's twelve, but we've really mm. enjoyed um, the Mysteries on Trains series by oh, Andrew yeah. Leonard. And it's a former podcast guest. She was wonderful. She was wonderful, yeah. And she really can write. She can plan because Twitch is brilliant too. Yeah. And with those books, we both really enjoyed together. But as as in me choosing a book to curl up with, it would be an adult's book. Unless it's a picture book. I do love picture books still. But also that is partly because it's a busman's holiday, isn't it? If you're, yeah. if, you're if I start to read a children's book, I'm likely to start editing it as I go along in my head mm. I'm likely to sort of second guess why they've made decisions become jealous if they've done something really good <laughs> so it's not, it's not the most relaxing thing to do 10 minutes before you fall asleep no I feel I feel you I also something else I love trying to do when I read books is spot what the author wanted to call the book so I think you can quite often find there'll be a, a moment a sentence which stands out with a phrase which is a little bit more special and then you'll think that's what they wanted to call the book, but they weren't allowed. Oh. It's still in there. Or something that you can tell the editor said something like, um, a little bit more background info needed here or something. You'll be reading along and suddenly it will go, so-and-so was 12 years old. I mean, she'd been doing this since she was, and you could, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's why I find reading children's books less relaxing than reading um, adult books. Well, I do agree with what you're saying. You're absolutely right to say that when I'm re when I am reading children's books, as as you go, you're kind of thinking about God. I wonder why they did that, or I wonder what their editor was thinking yeah. when they made that decision, or I wonder. You know, you, you do you do tend to do all the internal editing as you go. But I also I find them inspiring, you know, and I find them. Um, I also kind of find them. It's interesting to keep in touch with what's happening in the, I suppose, yeah. the market. If I'm allowed to use that horrible phrase, um, and I I try to you know I tend to write kind of fantastical sort of books um so I, I I'm looking at the last book I read it's on it's on my my windowsill here it's called All Four Quarters of the Moon by Shirley Marr um I, I, read, I enjoyed her first book um as well and they're about the Chinese the Chinese immigrant experience in Australia which is like obviously something I would have no yeah. personal experience of but it was it's they're wonderful books to get to know something totally outside of your own um experience uh, and and also her style is very different to to mine um so i find them very uh, inspirational that way to just to read books that are different to the ones you write yourself um but no normally i mean i do i do i do occasionally very <laughs> sort of trip into adult books too and i, I love them as well but uh, no i really love children's books i i really find them i do find them comforting to read and i i love i enjoy them but uh but sometimes you sometimes you come across adult books that are really inspiring and really inspirational and really enjoyable as well um i i loved what i read recently i read babel by rf kwan i thought that was amazing yeah. so she's she's a genius that like that woman is amazing so i'm looking forward to her next book um and i read tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by gabrielle zevin which is i also found really really good um but yeah so normally i, I read kids books but anyway this is not about me it's about jenny <laughs> um I used to, so I can only think that I will come back to reading children's books of pleasure. I'm, I, I know I sound a bit like a bit of a moan, moaning myrtle, um, but I... No, you don't. I, I, I don't. Have, I have, have had too much on, you know, you just get to a point where you... Yeah, there's a point when you just haven't space anymore. Yeah. The belief is that the difficult thing is getting published, but as you know, it's staying published. Staying published is much harder than getting published, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, yeah. So I yeah. tend to 
once you've got there, suddenly find yourself clinging to this, trying to do what, whatever you can. And you know, part of that is to, um, to try and write, write not a lot, but the, the quality to be good and to keep, to keep inventing and keep creating. And I would love to get, I would love to take my foot off the gas for a little while. And that point's coming, I think. Yeah. But on that topic, what's coming next for you? If you can talk about it. <laughs> if you're an ex-speaker. Uh, I have a secret project. <laughs> so I did tell you about it, didn't I, earlier, but I'm not allowed to say. Yeah, no, that's it. That's fine. We'll keep that secret to our graves. Yeah. That's the sort of comment if I heard another children's author saying would fill me with jealousy and rage. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> what is it? They're probably writing something for Marvel. That would be my mind. I'm not writing something. <laughs> I am... Um, so I've got a little secret project. I've got, um, I'm excited because I'm also on the cusp of being able to start something new, mm -hmm. you know, Amazing. so you're often in contract and contract and contract. So I've just yeah. written the second Dead Good Detectives book. That's at the editing stage. And I'm in the process of writing the second Stink book. Second and that's stink. why I, good. I have to, I have to, I'm showing a notebook. When I get too stuck, I have to start writing on big pieces of paper. I don't know why it always helps me. So that's almost finished. Second stink book. But I'm so about to draw all the pictures. So I'm about to have two months of art. That sounds I was going to ask you how long does it take to do the art? Two, two, uh, two months would be. At yeah. At least two months. I think it's probably going to be about 400 pictures or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. But when I draw, I can listen to music. Yes, and yeah. I can podcasts on, so it's a real treat. You know, mm, that is actually, it. that's probably why I want to draw pictures too, because you can do stuff that you can relax with music or podcasts yeah. or something on in the background. Yeah. Also, I also have Saving Lives at Sea on in the background. So if ever too much peril about the sea creeps into my stink books, it's because <laughs> I binge watch the documentary Saving Lives at Sea. And it's made me really anxious because I live near the sea. We go on holiday by the sea all the time, but it's made me overly anxious about my children in the sea. And I'm always saying, I watched, there was one when someone got swept out in five seconds. And so um, yeah, what's coming up is probably going to be some high octane sea anxiety and drawing. And then I'm, <laughs> I've got a secret project and then I want to start a new fantasy series. Mm, brilliant. That I that I had ticking away in my head for a long time. Long time. Great. Well, I'm, I'll just say this thing now. I had it ticking away in my head for a long time, just in case anyone else thinks that they thought the idea first. For <laughs> 10 years, at least 10 years. <laughs> it's amazing how some of these some of these ideas take so long to actually come from your brain to the page. It can, no, no, it can it's take exciting. forever. I think they could come in there for a long time. Some stories, I've had one, this, this idea is just epic. It's, it's massive. I've not quite got the... Uh, I, gumption to write it yet but this yeah. story one fantasy series in my head is so big that it's just been there for years and it's such a comfort because I, it's like picking something Netflix to watch I can turn it on at any moment and if I'm on a long train journey or a car journey or I'm, every time I fall asleep at night I just put myself into this book I don't know if I'll ever write it but I love it oh I watch you my sister <laughs> And do you, do you do you think in terms of series? It's like another way you say you you want to start a new fantasy series. You know, I I don't tend to think in terms of, you know, if I have an idea, I think of it as a book as opposed to you know. But do you do you do you envision things as trilogies or when you come up with ideas? I actually didn't want to write. I I have been trying not to write 
in a series. Um, but I think these next two, I've got two ideas I can't choose between and both of them feel like they'd be better as a series. They have more than one book in them. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Do you think? How do you? I just I, I don't know. What it's um, I suppose because the first idea I ever tried to get my agent with, <laughs> I want I pitched to her pitched it, pitched it to her as a trilogy, and she said, "Uh, no, there's not enough story here for a trilogy." And I'm like, "Oh, but I have it all planned out, and to me, it would work really well as a trilogy." Um, yeah. and that never got written. But so now I suppose I'm maybe I'm afraid <laughs> to think about books as being more than more than just one book. Like I mean, whenever I have an idea, I, it just it's one book. I think if I don't I don't imagine it as being expanding into into a trilogy or I, I don't see it that way so I don't know yeah I guess brains are all different but I just I just find it interesting that you you would think I have I have a I have a series I want to write I'm sure a lot of authors are like that I mean we spoke to Vashti Hardy recently and I think she probably thinks in in series as well she has she always has such an expansive kind of world in her stories and I suppose they all they fit in a trilogy rather than in one than in one book but it's just a different way of thinking to, than I have I think it's certainly a pleasure in returning to your world Sure. And yeah. Yeah. The raw, the raw books. I definitely had that. You know, I finished writing one, and I'd pack Arthur Rose back off to the real world, and they'd usually have something to eat, fish and chips or something. <laughs> and after a while, I'd think, oh, I want to go back to raw again. And I had yeah. the same. I'm sure I had the same thrill that they were supposed to have when they crawl through into that world and see it again. That you hope that readers have. And of course, they're such brilliant books. They're really still are. there. You know, they're all still there, waiting for you to pick them up, and the characters are. I think that it's that the joy of Raw, the land of Raw, was that I had a, that the, a group of readers that came along with me for the journey who felt as excited as I did. Because all writers feel love their worlds and their books, don't they? You know, that you just love spend all this time. You think they're brilliant. You know, you're not going to write a book if you don't think it's great. So you, I think you always think worlds are brilliant. But to have the experience with Raw, where I actually got it echoed back from readers was a is a was a such a thrill and it still yeah. is a thrill you know I hit I get I've just had an email from a school in America and this teacher's asked me before to do a zoom with his class and I've been sent a school in um Zimbabwe I did a zoom call with they were reading more and so I, I hit all these these children all over the world who visit raw I just find it goosebump inducing Lovely. That's amazing. It's not no, no. Mind, I think that's the interesting thing. They will all, everyone will imagine something slightly different. I find that really intriguing. Yeah, I love that idea too. But I mean, it's well deserved. They're they're fantastic books and brilliantly written. So I'm really I'm happy, delighted for your success. It's great. Um, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wrap things up now because we're we're slightly over our hour. Um, but that's uh, that's it's a shame because as we say to all our guests, it's always so much fun to talk to people about books, especially when they're bookish people. Um, it's it's always a joy. So I'm really sorry to have to bring it to bring it to an end. Um, but so I want to say thank you very much for for being with us today and talking us through your your story shaped life and your uh, all the all the books and stories and films and everything that have shaped you into the person and the author and the artist that you are today. It's wonderful to have had an an insight into how you're. Uh, an insight into how you make your books but also an insight into how, where they come from in your imagination so thank you so much and uh and big high five uh to your to your mum uh <laughs> they sound like amazing people um and what a wonderful uh, what a wonderful beginning you had to your life uh wonderful um but i suppose i should say uh thank you very much jenny and uh and uh we'll leave it at that for now but um if you have enjoyed this episode story shapers i hope that you will uh take the time to rate and review and share it with uh, everybody who has uh, an interest in, in children's books or in, in books in general. 
Um, we love making this podcast and it would be great to have more more ears on uh, on our work. Um, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, and so it is farewell from me, Sinead Hart. It's goodbye from me. <laughs> and goodbye from our wonderful guest, uh, Jenny McLachlan. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. Um, and until you. next week. <laughs> Thanks. Nope. No, go on, Jenny. Thank you. I can't believe an hour flew by. I've just moved your energy. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Get in there. Say you goodbye. Totally, you totally have not. Say goodbye to your public, Jenny. <laughs> I've had such a lovely hour talking Thank to you both. So have we. It's always, it's, yeah, it's always a joy. <laughs> we'll, have a, we'll have to have a drawing club. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, until next week, Story Shapers, we shall, we shall leave it at that. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod and don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts. Mm-hmm.